Welcome to Into Security Daily, the Info Security Magazine podcast that brings you a daily, bite-sized news roundup of all that's hot in the info security world. Whilst our website remains offline due to a significant and sustained DDoS attack, we'll bring you news via audio format. I'm Elena Dalloway, Editorial Director, and we're still committed to delivering the headlines that matter straight to you. Hello and welcome to the inaugural Into Security Daily podcast. I'm Eleanor Dalloway, Editorial Director, and I wish we were bringing this podcast to you in better circumstance. I'm joined today by my colleagues and my team, Benjamin David, Deputy Editor of InfoSecurity Magazine, and James Coker, who's our reporter. I'm sure it will not have escaped your notice that for the past two weeks, InfoSecurity Magazine has had its hands tied and has been unable to bring you the content that we so tirelessly work at doing. Our website, and later our CMS, has been the target of an incredibly significant and relentlessly sustained DDoS attack. Despite having industry recognised and respected DDoS protection in place, the attack has taken us offline. We're in the process of migrating to a new, more robust hosting provider, but whilst we complete that process, we do remain sadly offline. It has been hugely imperative and important to me and the team that we've acted with transparency, integrity and honesty throughout the entire ordeal. We've been candid about what we're experiencing and importantly, we're committed to sharing our learnings in a meaningful way with the community when we come out the other side. And I keep coming back to the Greek philosopher quote, it's not what happens to you, but it's how you react to it that matters. And these are the words that we're trying to live by. So as we carry that migration to our new hosting provider, I've been searching for ways to bring our readers daily content. The inability to do what we love and serve our community in the way that we dedicate ourselves to doing day in and day out has left us devastated. So this daily short but sweet podcast will allow us to, at the very least, bring you the daily headlines, even if it is to your ears rather than to your eyes. So without further ado, let's kick off with our first story today. And that's James with the ever-evolving Kaseya story. Thanks, Eleanor. I'm going to start with some positive news from from that obviously horrible situation in that Kaseya, which is an IT management firm, has obtained a universal key to enable it to unlock the systems of all the third party victims of that ransomware attack that took place earlier this month. And obviously, as, as everyone in the security industry will be well aware, Kaseya was infiltrated by hackers over the weekend of July the 4th, um, which is obviously a very special weekend in America. Um, and this incident is one that experts believe could be the biggest ransomware attack on record. This is because... As a managed service provider, the attackers were able to infiltrate the huge number of third-party customers of Kaseya via software updates and security patches that the uh, that the provider generally offers on a day-to-day basis. So these victims included supermarkets in Sweden and schools in New Zealand whose systems were frozen for days, sadly, which obviously caused enormous disruption. So since the attack, there's been there's been kind of a lot of developments on this story. The group behind the attack, which is the notorious R Evil gang, which everyone in uh, the cybersecurity community will be well aware of. Um, They reportedly demanded $70 million for the key that would enable the files to be unlocked. But then the Russian-based group mysteriously vanished from the internet on the 13th of July. And so now where Kaseya have got the encryption key from remains a bit of a mystery. 
Um, a spokesperson for the company on Thursday said that it had come from a trusted third party and did not provide any further details at that time. And since then, it's it's been reported that Kaseya has required its customers who were affected by the attack to sign a non-disclosure agreement to to obtain the decryption key, which kind of adds a bit more speculation about how they, they got hold of it in the first place. So there's a few theories out there. Um, it might be that the ransom was paid earlier by Kaseya or perhaps even um, a among all the victims together, or a more positive, in a more positive scenario, the, go- the Russian government themselves seized the key from our evil and handed it over to Kaseya uh, via intermediaries. Uh, it should be noted that US President Joe Biden called the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin, shortly after the attack to ask him to stop providing a safe haven for cyber criminals and in general has issued a lot of tough rhetoric about coming down hard on cybercrime gangs during his six months in office. If the latter theory is true, it might be a signal that the Russian government is starting to bow to growing international pressure to crack down on the numerous cyber threat actors that come from that region. And if so, that would be a really positive step in the fight against rising cyber attacks but obviously as i say this this is only a theory and it's very much an ongoing situation and one here we're here at info security will will definitely be keeping an eye on over the coming weeks thanks james and actually it's interesting what you say about biden because we are actually covering in our q3 issue a review of his first six months of presidency and what that has meant for cyber security that is a particular angle that is discussed in that piece. So I think when I when I hear of this story, it suddenly makes us feel very small fry with our DDoS attack. Um, <laughs> we think about just the sheer scale um, of this particular story. Although in terms of timing and how long it's been ongoing, we're actually not that far off. But yeah, ransomware to pay or not to pay has been an ongoing discussion. We've put out quite a few polls on that topic recently. We're going to be covering it in our online summit in September. And we ran a really interesting opinion piece, debate piece, with one side arguing for and one side arguing against on the website. So yeah, a really hot story there. We've definitely missed not being able to update on that regularly. Um, Next up, we've got the National Lottery Story um, with Benjamin David, who is the latest addition to the InfoSecurity Magazine team. Benjamin joins us with a background in both journalism and info security technology. And this is his podcast debut. So welcome to the podcast crew, Ben. Thank you for having me. Yes. So looking forward to talking about this very interesting story. So essentially, personal details linked to thousands of UK charities could be at risk following a National Lottery Community Fund or NLCF data breach. Now, the data includes the names, dates of birth and bank details of people who applied for funds from NLCF's UK portfolio. England funding or better building opportunities program between September 2013 and December 2019. Now the the NLCF did not reveal how the breach occurred but said that an investigation was ongoing and that it was too early to say how many individuals may have actually been affected. Other programs concerned uh, receive thousands of applications every year. Now the funder has reported itself to the Information Commissioner's Office and urged people to watch out for fraudulent activity on their bank accounts or phishing emails. But it didn't actually rule out the possibility that the breach had impacted other personal data. Now, the NLCF has also set up a dedicated email address and phone number for anyone with worries or questions and also issued an apology. 
Now, in a statement posted online on Thursday afternoon, NLCF said it was aware of a breach related to data provided to us between September 2013 and December 2019 by UK Portfolio, England Funding and Building Better Opportunities customers. Now, applicants to NLCF programmes in Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales are not affected. The statement also added that by customers, we mean those who were in the process of applying for a grant as well as existing grant holders, supplying information to us at that time. The data includes, of course, as I mentioned already, contact details, date of birth and bank details and the application organization's address and website but it does not include bank account pins, password, or bank card details as they do not collect them. But they added, this is an ongoing investigation and other personal data may have been affected, but all information pertaining to this data breach will be updated on their website. When asked how many individuals had actually been impacted by the breach, a spokesman for the NLCF said, it's still investigating, so it's simply too soon to say. And the NLCF did advise charities to change their passwords and be extra vigilant about potential fraud, and that they're looking into the matter fully to understand exactly what happened. But they may need to make any UK portfolio, England funding, or building better opportunity customers who supplied this type of information to us during this stage well aware that their data could be at risk. They did conclude by saying, if you believe you may be affected, we urge you to consider updating the passwords on your accounts, ensuring you're using strong, unique passwords. Look out for phishing emails or fraudulent activity on your bank account and consider running a credit card check against your name and address to enable you to spot any fraudulent applications being made in your name. Thank you so much, Ben. I think that's definitely a story to continue watching. There's always a tougher pill to swallow when charities are victimised by cyber attacks too. So now let's head over to the Tokyo Olympics, not literally, sadly, with James discussing the FBI warnings around cyber attacks and the Olympics. Yeah, that would be nice to to be over there right now, I think, wouldn't it? But um, (laughs) yeah, I have to admit, I did spend probably more time than I should have done watching the games this weekend. But sadly, as as well as being enjoyed by millions of people throughout the world, this obviously very prestigious event offers a major opportunity for cyber criminals, as is the case with any major event. And the Olympics is probably the biggest one of them all and this was certainly the message of the from the FBI last week which issued a warning that threat actors are likely to try and disrupt the event through techniques such as DDoS, ransomware, social phishing campaigns or or, or insider threats. Examples they gave included to block or disrupt live broadcasts of the event still and possibly hack and leak or hold hostage sensitive data or impact public or private digital infrastructure supporting the Olympics. And the FBI stated that large, high-profile events provide an opportunity for criminal nation-state cyber actors to make money, sow confusion, increase their notoriety, discredit adversaries, and advance ideological goals. And it gave the example of the attack that 
against the opening ceremony at the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, um, which is believed to have been perpetrated by Russian state actors. And they also noted that the Tokyo Games could be a particularly tempting target for malicious actors, as these are the first ever games to be viewed solely through broadcast and digital platforms um, as a result of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. Therefore, it's likely to attract a wider, even wider audience digitally than, than otherwise would be. In addition, even though there won't be any spectators at the event, there will still be a large number of people coming to Tokyo, or indeed at Tokyo as, as we speak. So these include journalists, foreign officials, and of course the athletes themselves, most importantly. And all of these people will be accessing the internet and maybe targeted by malicious actors um, as a means of disrupting the wider event or, or just targeting them personally. So as a result, the FBI is advising the organisers to stay vigilant throughout the games and ensure that their cybersecurity measures are as ro robust as possible. They recommend the kind of standard practices such as having continuity plans in the event of service interruptions, as well as practices such as continuous monitoring, regular patching, use of multi-factor authentication, all, all those kind of things that we, we talk about so often in the in the security industry. So far, there doesn't seem to have been any mishaps, and let's hope we can enjoy the full games without any, any such disruption occurring. Yeah, it's amazing to think of what's sort of going on behind the scenes. I remember going to um, Wimbledon a few years ago, with IBM, who were the technology partner at the time. And it was fascinating to watch the threats live and how their on-site SOC was handling it. I think, if I remember rightly, disruption to the screening and therefore the impact on sponsorship revenue was one of the main concerns. Um, although, of course, it all felt a little bit less concerning after a shed load of strawberries and pims in the press room after <laughs> our tour of the SOC. Um, anyway, finally, our last story of the day goes to Benjamin as we jump over to the topic of NSO spyware concerns. Yes, thank you. So French President Emmanuel Macron has reportedly spoken to the Israeli Prime Minister to make sure that the Israeli government is probably investigating allegations that the French president could have been targeted with Israeli-made spyware by Morocco security services. Now, Macron expressed his concern in a phone call that his phone and most of the phones of his cabinet could have been infected with Pegasus. Now, Pegasus is a hacking software developed by the Israeli surveillance firm NSO Group. Now, the software enables operators of the tool to extract messages, emails, and photos, and even record calls and secretly activate microphones from infected devices. Now, the leaked database at the heart of the Pegasus project includes a whopping 50,000 phone numbers, including, of course, Macron's. Now, all the people are believed to be of interest to clients of the NSO group. The list also includes personal details belonging to rights activists, journalists, and lawyers around the world. Now, the personal details have reportedly been sold to authoritarian governments. NSO claimed that Macron was not a target of any of its customers. Resultantly, the company is essentially denying that he was selected for surveillance using Pegasus. The company said that the fact that a number appeared on the list was in no way indicative of whether that number was chosen for surveillance using Pegasus. The Prime Minister's office has de declined to comment on the phone call of the two 
lead us this conversation. What's quite interesting is an unnamed source said that Bennett, the, uh, the Prime Minister of um, Israel, said that he stressed that the alleged events occurred before he took office in May and that a commission was examining whether rules on Israel's export of cyber weapons such as Pegasus should be tightened. It was not clear where the list came from or how many phones had actually been hacked. Now, since the news broke, the NSO has consistently denied any wrongdoing. It says that the software is intended for use against criminals and terrorists and is made available only to military, law enforcement and intelligence agencies from countries with good human rights records. It said that the original investigation, which led to the reports by Paris-based NGO Forbidden Stories and the human rights group Amnesty International, was, quote, full of wrong assumptions and uncorroborated theories. But it added that it would continue to investigate all credible claims of misuse and take appropriate action. Thank you so much, Ben. It's great to have a new voice on the podcast. Um, plenty of more, plenty more where that's from, I'm sure. Um, so this does bring us to the end of our first Into Security Daily. We really hope that this can go some way to making up for lost content. And believe us when we say we cannot wait to be back up and running again properly. I'd like to give a huge shout out to the InfoSec community who really have rallied around us, showered us with love and support, um, offers of help and advice, and they've truly made us feel like a part of the family. It's been really tough, but in the words of Dream, things can only get better. We'll be back tomorrow with more top stories, um, but until then, thanks for listening. I've been Eleanor. I've been James. And I've been Benjamin. Thanks for listening to Into Security Daily. We can't wait to get back to bringing you the same quality and quantity of online content as soon as possible. Until then, listen in to our daily podcast and stay connected to the cybersecurity stories that matter.